What makes you happy? Because that's in the Beatitudes, that's what it is. It's blessed, 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 blessed. And, and uh, that word literally means happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. That doesn't make any sense. What, what would make you happy? A different spouse? <laughs> oh, I wish. Different kit? Oh, I better hide behind the, the plants there. The plant is here. That's cool. NBC has their Going Green logo. This is our Living Spring Going Green. Okay. What would make you happy? A different job? Oh if, I, oh, if I had that raise, if I had that promotion, if I had my boss's job, then I'd... What makes you happy? Last week we talked about a little bit of happiness, about happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And what we talked about was... Hungering for right relationship with God as much as we do for food. And we focused really primarily on Jesus because he's the perfect example of it. And the first thing we, uh, we talked about was that Jesus was water for the thirsty soul. And he says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. And remember when, when he went to the woman at the well and he was uh, talking to her and he says, I, I want to drink a water. And she says, why are you talking to me? And he said, well, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me for a drink of water. And they had this dialogue, and she was on the kingdom of earth, and he was at the kingdom of heaven. And uh, he basically was saying, if you knew who it was, you'd be asking me for a drink, and I'd give you a drink of living water that would well up in you. Jesus is uh, water for the thirsty soul. The second thing we talked about was Jesus was food for the hungry heart. That as you desire food, as your stomach growls, and you go, oh, man, I really want something to eat, Our relationship with God can be the same way. Jesus is the key to that. He's the example of that. He says, I'm the bread of life. And remember, we talked about Jesus saying, oh, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the disciples were going, ew. That's what it says in the Greek. Ew. This is a hard teaching, Jesus. And then we had communion. And we saw what it was like to actually partake of Christ. To say, this is what he did for us. He died on the cross for our sins. Now we can hunger and thirst with right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And then we asked ourselves three questions. uh, We asked ourselves one question with three answers. Why have we lost our appetite? If we're going to hunger and thirst for righteousness, why have we lost our appetite? And the first thing we talked about was losing our taste for righteousness. When I get, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but I go through these little periods of time where I cannot get enough chips into my body. There, I crave chips, right? It's at nighttime. I don't know what, it's the salt or whatever, but Trader Joe's has these salt and pepper chips. Whew, those are good. What happens as I keep eating chips? Right? Not only that, but I lose my taste for healthy food. All I want is chips. The same thing happens with righteousness. As we begin to look to other ways to satisfy our life, we lose our taste for righteousness. The second thing we talked about was we need a home-cooked meal. And we talked about the prodigal son who wanted to isolate himself. He didn't want any more accountability. He left. He just said, I just want to live my life my way. And it didn't turn out. And it says when he came to his senses... He went back home and the first thing his father did was cooked him a home-cooked meal. He killed the fatted calf. And some of us, we talked about, need to come home to God and say, man, this ain't 
This isn't working for us. The third thing we do is too much snacking. That's why we lose our appetite. We, something's going on in our life and the Lord is in the kitchen preparing a meal that's going to totally satisfy that need. And we're snacking on stuff we shouldn't be snacking on. We go shopping or we turn on the television or we do whatever to just satisfy that need. I don't want to wait for God. I, I want to fill up on chips. And then when the meal comes, it's like, well, that's, that was good, but I, I'm, I don't really need that anymore. And God's going, man, this is exactly what you need, but you've been snacking too much. So what I want to do is announce to us uh, Saturday, next Saturday is November 17th. And this is on the website. I didn't get it in the bulletin. But what I wanted Saturday to be was a day of fasting for us as a church where the entire day we don't eat anything. (laughs) To remind us what that hunger is like. So every time your stomach growls, you go, oh man, Lord, I want to have a, I, I, I want my desire for you to be like that. And then a Saturday, on Saturday night in the tin can, which is where our youth meet, uh, we're going to have a night uh, from seven to nine of just prayer, a little bit of worship, but we're just going to open that up. It's an intimate setting uh, where we can just go before the Lord right before Thanksgiving now, part of the thing is that I, I want us to get as a church is to, again, get into this discipline of fasting so that we can feel like, um, uh, so that we can put something aside and totally focus on God, but also prepare us for Thanksgiving so that when we have that Thanksgiving meal, as the Holy Spirit reminds us, we take that turkey and we put a little cranberry sauce on it and go, mmm, and remember when we were hungry and make that connection of, Lord, this is like your righteousness. I want to be super hungry for it. And then when it comes, when my right relationship with you comes, oh, it's so satisfying. So we'll try and send out some emails. It's on the website uh, to remind you. And if, you, if you'd like to be included on those emails, again, you have the flap. Put your email address on there, circle it, and say, yeah, I, I, please uh, l- remind me. And then from 7 to 9, it's open. You can come and go as you please. But I, wanted, uh, I want that to remind us to get those stomach pains uh, on Saturday so that uh, for a couple things, again, to get us into fasting, to get us to thinking about God, and also so that on Thanksgiving, that's our, we can remember being hungry and make that connection. So this week, uh, we're talking about Blessed Are the Merciful, for they will receive mercy. And again, I've been talking all this time about two kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. And Matthew is uh, talking about Jesus is the king of this kingdom. Matthew's the only writer that talks about a kingdom of heaven. And I think he says it about 23 times. I can't remember what it was. It doesn't matter. He says it quite often. And he's the only one because he wants these Jews to understand Jesus is the Messiah. So he's talking about these two uh, kingdoms. And so last week we talked about um, the kingdom of pride. One of the weeks we talked about the kingdom of the world is pride uh, and the kingdom of, um, uh, of uh, heaven is humility. This week I want to talk about the kingdom of the world is entitlement and the kingdom of heaven is mercy. The kingdom of the world is that was not fair what they did to me. I'm going to sue. I'm going to I'm going to get back at them. I'm never going to talk to them again. Now, mercy is a very rich word in the word of God. It has to do with a lot of things, even so much as feeding the poor. But this morning, I want to talk about forgiveness. 
I want to talk about forgiveness because I think that blocks a lot of mercy having its real power. And so uh, the kingdom of the world is entitlement. Well, I get what he did that to me. I'm going to do this to them. And it's building up accounts of who did what and did they say they were sorry and all that. The kingdom of heaven is, guess what, opposite. Who knew, <laughs> right? Surprise. Remember, and they're not just two countries that border each other. They're at war, okay? So you're, you're going to always want to have this entitlement. But the kingdom of heaven is mercy. And so I, I, I want to talk a little bit about these Beatitudes because we're beginning to make a shift now. See, what Jesus is doing in this Sermon on the Mount is he's doing exactly what John the Baptist said he was going to do. He said, there's one coming that's going to come with fire. He's going to come with a word that is just like, he says the axe is already being laid to the root of the tree. Because at that time, oh man, I almost fell off the front of this stage. That would have been scary. I'm like, yeah. Okay. At that time, the religious, we need like a little light strip or something for me up here. At that time, the religious leaders were saying, hey, we got it all figured out. We are the religious trees bearing religious fruit. And Jesus comes on the scene and goes, you're living in the wrong kingdom. You're, when, if you judge it by kingdom of God standards, you guys are dead. We're cutting this down. And that's what this sermon is all about. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn. These first four things are matters of the heart. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Jesus is coming and saying, no, this is not what a relationship with God looks like. This is what it looks like. And he preaches the Beatitudes. The first four are these matters of the heart. Poor in spirit, those who mourn, meek, and hunger and thirst for righteousness. These are things, these are heart conditions. The next four are patterns of response. Merciful. Right? That is so awesome. I love that sound. Merciful. Pure in heart. Okay? peacemakers, being able to stand up under persecution. This is, the, this is how these first four manifest themselves. And there's a connection with being poor in spirit and uh, being meek. And we'll see that in a little bit. But we need to see these, this correlation. And we'll get into it a little more um, that with poor in spirit, there's merciful. With those who mourn, there's pure in heart. And we'll go over that over the next few weeks. But I just want us to get a sense that we've been focusing on our heart for the last four. Now we're going to focus on our actions. And see what our hearts really like. Scary. Okay? Now, there's another thing I want us to see. The community of Beatitudes. It's the merciful. The pure in heart. Those who mourn. This is a group of individuals. These are members of the kingdom. This is you and I. This is what... It should look like living spring. As I look out over all you guys, it should be living spring, the merciful. Living spring, the pure in heart. I went to living, not just living spring, whatever, any church around us. Cottonwood, the merciful, okay? It doesn't matter. It's all the same kingdom. 
And so, so the, the, uh, this body of believers, the church of Jesus Christ, when Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church, it'll be merciful. It'll be poor in spirit. It's a, just a beautiful sense of community. So what do these people look like? What do these merciful people look like? Well, the first thing they look like, merciful people are connected to their own poverty. Merciful people are connected to their own poverty. This goes back to what I was saying, how these, how these Beatitudes connect with each other. Remember, blessed are the poor in spirit. We talked about poor in spirit. We talked about those people who go before God and they say, remember we talked about the beggar. The beggar would sit in that time on his knees. He would not look up because he was not, he was not worthy of looking up. And by poor, we don't mean just like he, he was just below the poverty level. He had no ability to make any money. And so they'd sit and they would not look up. They'd look to the ground and they'd stick out their hand. And we talked about that's what it means to be poor in spirit. A person who understands, Lord, I got nothing. I come before you. I I, I need your mercy. I need mercy. Those people who are there show mercy. They understand I got nothing. I need mercy. And so I give mercy. We talked, when we talked about being poor in spirit, we talked about um, the unforgiving servant. And I've used this parable in probably, I don't know, 20% of my servants because it's just, it's such a kingdom uh, representation. And what happened was there was a, uh, Jesus said, uh, Peter came to Jesus and said, hey, how much should I forgive my brother? So remember, this is the, this is the, uh, the uh, idea is forgiveness. How much should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, s- 70 times seven. If you look in your NIV, it says 77 times, but literally it's 70, seven times. 70 times seven. See what I'm saying? Okay, so you carry the two. No, I'm, I'm joking around. All right, it doesn't matter. It's a lot, okay? That's what it means in the Greek. A lot, Jesus replied. Okay, no. Uh, so Jesus then begins to tell a story, and he says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Isn't that what mercy really is? Settling accounts? I mean, think about all the people who've wronged you. you. Some of us carry these accounts with us. If you were into, uh, um, uh, uh, when I went to school, uh, I majored in business and I took accounting. And you debit on the left, credit on the right, or vice versa. I didn't do very well in that class. Uh, but uh, so... Uh, and it was, you have to keep these ledgers and you, everything has to be perfect. And sometimes in, when we get wounded, we get our accounting, we got a pencil in this ear and we're, okay, and he did that to me and then she did that to me and we have all our ledgers set out. Well, there was a king who wanted to settle his accounts with his slaves. And he goes to one particular slave and he gets out his ledger and he goes to the bottom line and he says, yo, me, uh, I, I, I can't remember what the equivalent was I think it's $10 million, but I'm just going to say a million because what does it really matter, right? Uh, if I owe you a million, I might as well owe you $10 million. So it doesn't really make any difference, okay? So uh, it, we'll say it's a million dollars at the end. And he goes to that slave and he goes, you guess what, dude? You owe me a million dollars. I'm going to put your whole family in prison and they're going to be slaves. And, and what is the, we talked about this at Poor in Spirit. He bows down before and he says, be merciful on me. I will repay. 
Well, no, he wasn't going to repay. He didn't have the money to repay. The fact was, be merciful on me. And the king said, you know what? It says he felt compassion. And the way he settled that account was to go paid in full. We're done. So that slave goes out. Sorry, I, I spit a lot when I talk. So if you see stuff flying out, I apologize. We do uh, umbrellas for the first row, right? So uh, he, he, uh, he goes out. He's been forgiven a million dollars. And he goes out and there's a slave that owes him a hundred bucks. And he grabs him by the neck and he starts shaking him and says, give me my hundred bucks back. And here's what happened. When the other servants saw what had happened, remember, we're a community, okay? We are the merciful. So when one of us isn't merciful, it affects the rest of the community. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. Why? Because they understood the mercy. They felt the mercy. They know what this king is like. And they went and told their master everything that happened. And this is what the master says. When the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he says, I canceled that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Shouldn't my mercy be on the forefront of your mind every single day? Shouldn't you be walking in joy knowing you're not enslaved anymore? You're free? Shouldn't that make a big difference to you? Shouldn't that always be now what drives you? I'm, oh, I was forgiven that debt. Shouldn't you wake up every morning going, oh, man, that feels good. That's not all in here. Sorry, I added that. In his anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owes. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Wow, God's going to torture me if I don't forgive? No, you're going to be tortured. Unless we become people who are merciful, that bitterness, that unforgiveness will torture us. Because we'll always be looking at that account going, oh, and it'll begin to fester and bitterness will grow and it'll take root and it'll take a big, big act of God to get that stuff out. We will be tortured by our unforgiveness. That's why uh, Jacob, when he went to go see Esau, he was talking to God and he said, I'm unworthy of all the loving kindness and all the faithfulness which thou hast shown thy servant. I'm unworthy. He's connected with his poverty and spirit. David says, be merciful on me, O Lord. I cry unto thee daily, right? Being connected with the mercy, being poor in spirit. Every day we go before God, oh Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for forgiving me. That connection with poverty. See, people who come before God and are reconciled, it's not that they go from being unworthy to being worthy, like at first you don't deserve God's mercy and then you go before him and you ask for forgiveness and all of a sudden now you deserve it. You go from not understanding you desperately need mercy to understanding it. That's the transition from death into life. It's not all of a sudden you accept Christ and you know what he did for you on the cross and you have a relationship with God and you go, do, 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 yay, I don't need, you know. It's that all of a sudden you go, I need God. This ain't working. And you realize you need his mercy. 
Jesus was talking uh, again about a, a Pharisee. Again, laying the axe to the root of the tree. And it says Jesus was talking to some people who were confident in their own righteousness. That's what it says in the Bible. He was talking to some people who were very confident in their own righteousness. And he says, this Pharisee shows up and he goes, he's praying and he says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not a tax collector or a sinner or like this guy over here. <laughs> right? <laughs> awesome. I'm, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. So he goes and he says that. And Jesus uh, tells another, uh, continues the story. There's another guy. Uh, he's in my, the page I just passed. The tax collector. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. Again, remember the beggar's stance? He wouldn't even look up to heaven. But beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. He was connecting to his poverty in spirit. And Luke chapter 18, verse 14 says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. If we are not connected with our own poverty and spirit, if I'm not connected to my own poverty and spirit, it's pride. And when I lay all my accounts out on the table and I go, man, that guy owes me that, it's pride. My inability to forgive is connected to my inability to understand my own poverty in spirit. It's not that they did something unworthy of forgiveness. We'll get to that a little bit later. Number two, merciful people by default get wounded. (laughs) If you have an expectation that you're going to go through life without being wounded, you are sorely mistaken. To be merciful, you have to have been wounded. (laughs) You can't just go along and be merciful unless you have been wounded. I'll give you an example. Let's say I've got all this money and I go and there's a guy begging on the, on the sidewalk and I give him 20 bucks. Let's say I give him 100 bucks, right? $100. And then I go on the rest of my life and that's what I've done. Am I giving? Am I a giving person? No. I gave once. <laughs> That doesn't make me giving. It's when I give over and over and over and over and over again. Not only will merciful people be wounded, but you'll be wounded a lot. So much so that you'll be identified as merciful. If I give, if, I, if someone needs money, and so I give them money, and I lend them my car, and I, I take people into my house, and I'm doing this, people say, boy, John is a giving person. Why? Because there's been many opportunities to give, and he took advantage of them. Unfortunately, it goes the same with merciful. To be merciful, you've been wounded many times, and you've taken advantage to show mercy each time. Jesus said, uh, the uh, Pharisees were bugging him about who he was hanging out with. Remember we talked about fishers of men, fishing, fishing people who fish smell like fish. And we said, if we want to reach the fish, we have to sm- we're going to end up smelling like fish. We're going to be hanging out with fish. That's what they were accusing uh, Jesus of. Ah, oh, man, you hang around with drunkards and tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus makes a famous statement and he says, it's not the, it's not the uh, well that need a physician, the sick need a physician. Right? It's not the really cool people in your life that need mercy. It's not my best friend that needs mercy. Or my wife that needs mercy. I mean, sometimes she does, right? And sometimes I need mercy. 
more often than not, that, my bad, okay? <laughs> right? It's the idiot. It's the guy who cheated me. It's the guy who, who took my place in line. It's the guy who cut me off. It's the guy who said something about my family. It's the guy who hurt me. That's the guy who needs mercy. It's not the, uh, the healthy that need a physician. It's not the cool person that needs mercy. It's that person that just drives you up the wall. Here's what Titus says. It gives us an idea of connecting again with the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of heaven. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not because of righteous things we'd done. He didn't save us because we're really cool and deserved it. That isn't why he saved us. Why? Because of his mercy. Because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. Not because we were cool. Hey, Jesus, what's up? We're best buds. It's because we spit in his face, like I just did there. <laughs> or we nailed those nails into his hand. Ephesians 2, 4 says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, God has a bank account of mercy that is just unbelievable. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. That's when we needed mercy. It is by grace you have been saved. It's when the person wounds you. It's, it's, it's in the midst of that. That's when mercy needs to come. And, and let me tell you guys, this is so freeing. I want us to understand this, to catch a glimpse of why this is so exciting. You go, John... You just told me I was going to get wounded, and that's supposed to be, yippee, I can't wait. No, it's that the Word of God tells us what's going to happen. That should be freeing to you. So when your brother-in-law calls you up and says, hey, you know, whatever your brother-in-law does to bug you, you go, oh, yeah, no, Jesus said this was going to (laughs) happen. I knew this was going to happen. Oh, yeah. Now, we don't go, yeah, he's been an idiot. He'll always be an idiot. That's not what we're saying. It's we come with an attitude of expectation that we will be wounded. We are going to be wounded. John uh, says this in John 15, 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. What's Jesus saying? He's not going, you know, I'm better than you. Ha ha, it happened to me. You know, I get the first line. No, he's saying, keep this in your mind. Keep in mind. It should always be on the forefront of your mind. Oh, this is why I have a relationship with the Lord, to handle this. He said it was going to happen. And it goes on. It says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world. But I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Get ready for it. It's going to happen. You say, but what about my husband? He's not of the world. Well, maybe he is. I don't know. Right before all this thing about don't be surprised, in verse 17 it says, this is my command. Love each other. Listen, some I guarantee you, if I'm pastor here for the next 20 years, and you guys stay, <laughs> you're like, that doesn't make sense. Why would we? No. Uh, I'm going to say something up here that's going to, you're going to go, oh man, that's, what do you say that for? 
he doesn't know what I've been through or whatever. Or maybe I say, I don't like USC and you are plastered with USC stuff. You're waving a little, you got the big USC finger in the back, you know, going, yay. And oh man, I guarantee it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm going to say something that's going to wound you. You guys are going to say stuff that wound each other. Expect it. You say, that doesn't sound real great, John. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. We, then we don't go, what? what? He did what? We go, oh, yeah. We connect to our own poverty and go, how many times have I said something stupid? Merciful people, by default, in order to be merciful, you have to be wounded. Number three, merciful people are distributors, not manufacturers. You're distributors, not manufacturers. The job I had before this one, uh, we were in import-export. We had a big warehouse. And that warehouse was filled with product that we would distribute to different airlines and cruise lines and places all over the world. We would distribute it. We didn't make anything. And so if I walked into the warehouse one day and went to take inventory and I looked and I went, oh boy, it's an empty, an empty warehouse is a bad warehouse because you got no way to make money. You want a full warehouse. That's a happy warehouse. Okay? This is all import-export 101. I could teach a whole class on it. Full warehouse, happy warehouse. Okay? Full of mercy, happy person. Happy are those who are merciful. We're distributors. See, we get so many chances to give mercy. And if the warehouse is empty, if we're not receiving God's mercy, if we're not connected, we got nothing to distribute. We don't make this up on our own. Listen to what Hebrews 2.17 says. See, Jesus came and actually got in our shoes. If you look at mercy, that's really what it is. You are, you are living the other person's life and you're feeling their sense of need for God. That is mercy. It's very difficult to get this, okay? You, so someone comes in and they say, you're, I hate you, I'll never forgive you. you, I hate you and your whole family. Mercy goes, what state would I have to be in to be that disconnected from God? And you go, man, whew, that's tough. See, what, what do we tend to do? Well, I hate you and your whole family. So there, right? <laughs> right? That's what we do. We fight back. Sorry about that. That was horrible. Uh, uh, but, uh, wow. Wish I could pull that back in. Okay. <laughs> right? This is what happens with Jesus. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 2. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. Why? In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he may make atonement. Hold on to that word because we're going to get to it later. He may make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Because he was tempted. He can manufacture this help that comes down and can fill our warehouses. Because he was merciful. Because he went in our shoes and was merciful. He, can, he has this manufacture of uh, 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 this, this, uh, this warehouse uh, that he's manufactured of, of mercy that comes down to fill us. We become merciful. 
We're full of mercy. We don't manufacture. You don't just grit your teeth and go, all right, that's fine. I, John said he was going to be like that. So I'll just grin and bear it. Oh, God is rich in mercy. He manufactures tons of it. And we get it and we distribute it. And the more we understand how much we need, the more we're opening that communication with God, the more he fills us up. We become mercy full to overflowing and we can then show mercy. We're distributors of it. In Lamentations 3, uh, 22, it says, The Lord's loving kindnesses never cease. His compassions never fail. There's a constant flow down the, down the uh, product line. Just constant flow. And they never fail. You get to the inspection, the mercy's perfect. You never have to turn it back. Lot number 14 of that mercy, you send it back. It's no good. Never. His compassions never fail. In Psalm 103, 11, it says, For as high... As the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. That's how much mercy God's manufacturing. We're just a warehouse. Now sometimes we don't pay our bills. We don't run the warehouse correctly. And it's like, man, we can't deliver any more trucks until we settle, what, accounts. See, we want, we want so much from God and yet, in my own life, I shut the valve off myself. And God's going, hey, listen, I want to give you this mercy, but we got we to gotta settle accounts here. And then you go and you go, Lord, I'm so sorry. I owe you so much. And he goes, ah, oh, there we go. Let's get some trucks in there. Get you filled back up again. We become merciful. James 2.12 says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown on anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Whatever account you're trying to keep with somebody, okay, you got them all lined up. Mercy's way better than being paid back. Way better. Imagine if you have a collections department. You're in a business and you have a collections department. I don't know if you've ever been in business, but collecting money is the worst thing of business ever. It takes all your time and all you're getting is money you should have earned already. All you're doing in life is you're taking all the people who owe you money, that whole collections department, and you're outsourcing it to God. You're going, you know what? You, you collect it. I, I can't. I can't collect it. I, got, I, I have a life to run. And Jesus goes, great, give it to me. I'll take care of it. I'll do your accounting for you. How freeing is that? That we don't have to sit and, oh man, we look at people the way they are. When I was, uh, I went to a friend's birthday party at the beach many years ago. And um, there was this guy there. He's about 18 years old. And uh, my daughters were um, there. They were much younger. And uh, they were probably six and five. And this guy's like cussing all the time. Right in front of my kids. And I'm going, dude, what is your problem? You know, there's kids here. Can't you see there are kids here? So then, then we were like roasting marshmallows, and he grabs a bunch of marshmallows out of the bag. And I, I, I say, yeah. So I go up to the guy and say, hey, dude, you know, you need to mellow out. So he starts cussing at me. I'm like, oh, dude, let me tell you something. I'm just like, Whew. it's like building up, right? And I'm just like, oh, dude, we're, this is this is." 
your humble pastor. Thank you very much. Like, is there a way we can get rid of some and get someone else? So this is going on. And, I, and so then he turns for me and he's, he's like throwing sand around. I said, hey, dude, I'm talking to you. And he turns around and he says something. And I realize he's got special needs. He has Down syndrome. Now, who's the idiot? <laughs> me, right? All of a sudden, it's like, oh, ah, I'm ashamed of myself. I'm like, I was picking on a guy with special needs. I, you know, I felt so horrible. Why? Because I have all the tools to deal with it once I know he's got special needs. I, I just go, well, hey, no problem, dude. You can cuss. You can throw sand. You can do whatever you want. I thank you, Lord, you know. I have, every, I have the capacity to deal with the situation. It changed everything once I understood where he was in life. What changed? Nothing. He still cussed at me. He still took marshmallows from my kids. He still threw sand. Nothing changed. Except I went, oh man, I'm an idiot. I'm the, I'm the weakest link. <laughs> right? Because I saw him for who he was. Church, that's it. That's it. I mean, we ha- when we get wounded, we have to see it for what it is. But you understand, he hurt me real bad. I probably don't understand. But God, who's rich in mercy, who's manufacturing so much mercy, we, we, we can't even begin to understand it. He's just sitting there. The trucks are lined up on the street going, just open the doors. We'll start backing them in. But it comes to seeing people for who they are. Do you know that we have all the tools we need to be able to deal with those who wound us? In Christ, we have all the tools we need. This is why Jesus, he's on the cross. He's had three years of ministry where he's just been totally persecuted. People are bugging him all the time. I mean, he's just wiped out. He's nothing but merciful, nothing but gracious. Nothing but forgiving. He's healing people. He's providing meals for them. He's doing all this stuff. And they kill him. They drive nails into his head. They spit on him. They take his clothes. They, 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 they uh, auction him off. They nail him to a cross. And it's all happening right then. Nail through his feet. Nail through his hands. The, the climax of being wounded by people. And this is what he says. Father, forgive them. Why? They have special needs. They don't know what they're doing. They they don't have the capacity to be able to deal on the level that we need to be dealing on. They don't have the ability to see what they're doing. In the midst of the most pain he had gone through in his life, He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. That is a warehouse full of mercy. He was so connected with the Father. He saw people for who they were. I need to do the same thing. Lastly, merciful people receive mercy to handle anything. 
They receive mercy to handle anything. I, I'll bet you'd say, some of you would say, I just want you to see this account. This is what a parent did to me when I was little. I'll bet you've never seen a number like that down at the bottom. Now you tell me how I'm supposed to have mercy for that. That's a deep wound. Or, this is what my spouse did to me. Tell me he's got the money to handle that one. He does. He absolutely does. Merciful people receive mercy to handle anything. That's why beatitude number eight is blessed are those who are persecuted. (laughs) It only gets better, guys. Yippee! (laughs) Happy are those who are persecuted. Why? Because God, the more we need him, the more he supplies, and then the closer we are to him. That number down at the bottom, that's how much God wants to come and embrace. And say, I got it. I'll collect that bill. That's how close he wants to be. See, we talk about mercy. We celebrate it. We sing of your mercies. Your mercies are new every morning. There are books on mercy. I preach sermons on mercy. We love getting mercy. At night, some of us go before God every night. Lord, you know what I did today? I did this and this. I'm sorry. Forgive me. But to give it, that's a different story. That's because nobody understands what I've gone through. He understands. He went through it all. See, God doesn't tell you to do something and then not empower you to do it. God doesn't say, blessed are the merciful. Good luck. Okay, there you go. See, the Pharisees did that. Jesus said, you tie heavy loads on people and you don't even lift a finger to help them. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't say, oh, you know what? You really need to have peace. Go get them. Right out the door. He doesn't do that. He tells us, blessed are the merciful. And here it is. Here's all the mercy you would ever need in order to fulfill that. Blessed are the peacemakers. Here's here's peace that surpasses all comprehension you won't even understand what's happening to you. He doesn't empower us to do acts of mercy with a bitter heart. Like, all right, fine. I forgive my mom. There, I said it. And I set her some flowers. You happy? Right? It's not acts of mercy. It's mercyful. It become. it identifies you. You are now merciful. Proverbs eleven seventeen, The merciful man does himself good, but the cruel man does himself harm. It doesn't get any more simple than that. Proverbs wouldn't be there saying the merciful man does himself good if we weren't empowered to be merciful. We talked about, uh, one time we talked about the Good Samaritan and... Uh, this, this teacher in the law says, so who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. We all know it. Pharisee comes by, leaves this man in the ditch, doesn't help him. Uh, uh, a teacher of the law comes by. No, it's a Levite comes by, 
leaves him alone, nothing. Then a Samaritan comes by. And he says to the guy, remember, the guy asked, who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, who was the neighbor to the person who was sick? And he says, the one who showed him what? Mercy. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. Do you want to be full of mercy? Do you want to have mercy? Go and do likewise. Show mercy. It's freeing. It, it totally takes the collection department and puts it on God and says, you deal with it. Because here's the thing, guys. We don't have the capacity to deal with it. We are incapable of being able to handle the checks and balances of judgment. We think we can. We think we can go, well, no, no, really I can. He did this to me. I'm going to do that to him. But that other guy's ledger says, oh, he did that to me. Now he owes it. And there it goes. We don't have the capacity. You were not designed by God to hold on to it. You were designed as a vessel to be emptied and filled. There's a, when you look at the temple, uh, 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 the tabernacle and how it was made, it's all, God puts all these things according to design. And uh, in, the, in the Holy of Holies is this next thing here. I think I have it there. It's, yeah, keep going. Yeah, that. That's the Ark of the Covenant. It's just a sketch. If you look for a picture of the Ark of the Covenant, there'll be like 50,000 different things because they're just going by what the Bible said. So it may or may not look like that, all right? But here's the thing. On top of the Ark of the Covenant is a lid. See the angels are on the lid? And they're, they're facing each other, but they're looking at the lid. The lid is called the mercy seat. It's called the mercy seat. Now, it's not a seat, although God in his Shekinah glory would rest above those angels. That's where he'd, he, his presence would be. And when Moses would come and see him, that's where his presence would be. That was the Shekinah glory. On, right above that mercy seat. And every year, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and he'd sprinkle blood. It's called the Day of Atonement. And this blood would go on to the mercy seat. Underneath the mercy seat, in that box, was the law. If you read the law, this was God's standard, which not one single person in this room can, can handle. None of us. You, can't, you, you will fail miserably. It's designed to show you how lame you are. <laughs> okay? To show you, oh boy, I need to be poor in spirit. So the law is in there. And every year, the priest would come and sprinkle this blood as an atonement for the sins of the people. So that when God, in his presence, looked down at the law to judge, he saw the blood. It was a separation from the law. We didn't get, it was mercy. The blood gave us mercy. This is exactly a representation of what Jesus did on the cross. There is a law, there's a standard that God has for our lives that not one of us can handle. I don't care how spiritual you think anybody else is. All are guilty. But Jesus came, and his blood of mercy came down. 
And when the Lord looks at us, he looks at us, those who've accepted what Christ did on the cross, saying, I can't, I can't do it. He looks at us and says, ah, oh, mercy. It's a lid on top of what we deserve. We are in love.